Second Presbyterian, Finding Direction by Following Jesus. You may be surprised to learn that the cross did not become a central symbol of the church until the fourth century. Some say that it never should have become such an important symbol. They usually are reacting to a shame-based theology of the cross, which isn't what we preach and teach at Second Presbyterian Church. However, the cross is central to the story told by the Gospels. And so, this Lent, we will preach Christ and Him crucified, just as the Apostle Paul said we should do. We've titled our series, Lift High the Cross, borrowed from the famous hymn with the same title. We will look at what the cross reveals about us and about God. We will speak of sin. Yes, we will. But speak also of the grace and hope of the cross and how human dignity is encouraged and not destroyed. Give a listen. If you want to hear the prayers and music of the worship surrounding the sermon, Find us on YouTube or online at sprez.org. Let's pray. Holy God, be in our thoughts and our deliberations. Reveal something to us. Reveal yourself. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our passage has the shape of a V. It begins high with Jesus with God. It goes low as Jesus becomes human, lower still in being a servant of others, lower still when Jesus dies on the cross, a style of execution meant to humiliate who is killed and crush the hopes of those who thought he had something to offer. And then God raises Jesus from the dead and gives him the seat of honor. The V that Paul draws is an illustration, not a definition. Don't take from the passage that when Jesus was on earth, God no longer was in heaven or no longer God. Paul is speaking to a world that assumes that perfection would have nothing to do with imperfection. That purity cannot be tainted by immorality. And that God did not want anything to do with a mess of flesh life, much less submit to death meant to demean and humiliate. The V illustrates the wonder of God's best being exposed to the worst about us. And God still serving us. For me, the interesting question of this passage is not, What happened to God while Jesus lived? The interesting question is, does God change? Or, more to the point, does God become a better God? Did the God who created humans learn to become more humane? Travel the thee with me as I read our passage from Philippians. First, the prologue. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of one mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, 
who though he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. I am a better grandparent than I was a parent. I know a lot of grandparents say that, but they say that because it's true. It's true of me anyway. I was in my 20s when I was given the parenting assignment, and I had some anxiety about getting it right. On the one hand, I wanted my girls to love me because I loved them so much and they learned to use that to their advantage. Refuse me a hug, and my mood was spoiled. Or give me a hug, and suddenly I'm buying ice cream. On the other hand, I was anxious about their not doing what I told them to do, because I, I wanted them to do what I told them to do, because I wanted them to get educated. I wanted them to learn how to do things. I did not want them to become awful people. And they should have understood that. So why did I have to explain myself all the time? So I admit it. Sometimes I was a thus saith the dad kind of dad. Now, I'm not confessing anything terrible today. The world did forget to give me a dad of the year award, but I did all right. I'm just saying that as my girls grew, I grew. And now I think I'm a better grandparent than I was a parent. Hush, this is church and you're thinking too loud and it's distracting. I can hear what you're thinking. Yeah, Emory is only five years old. Let's see how the right reverend doctor I'm a better grandparent does when she hits 13. Well, I'll cross that bridge to therapy when I get to it. The point is, I can compare apples to apples, and Emory is five, and I can remember when my girls were five, and I can see that I've learned a trick or two, that I don't get triggered so easily, that I'm more of a turn-the-other-cheek sort of guardian, that I let things slide that can slide, and, and that when I have to lay down the law, pouting doesn't bother me. And yes, when I need to, I can turn her over to her mom and go do what I want to do, like watch Carolina lose to Duke and probably blow their chances at getting into the tournament. How many shots can be missed by one team in one game anyway? Anyway, I'm trying to tell you that I matured. <laughs> I was a good parent, but with Emory, I'm a kinder, gentler, more patient version of that parent. You know, more grace than law. Many have said that's how it is with God. God has grown up, they say. The New Testament God is a kinder, gentler, more patient version of the Old Testament God. I mean, look at how the Bible stories are told. God created the world and it all seemed good. 
And God threatens to kill Adam and Eve if they mess up what he has created. But when they do mess up, God reconsiders, doesn't kill them. Instead, he sends them to their room, or rather out of the garden and out into the world. And when Adam and Eve's descendants keep blowing it, God decides to wipe the whole slate clean with the flood, but then has a change of heart and saves Noah, Noah's family, and a starter couple for every kind of animal. And God puts a rainbow poster in the sky as a reminder not to lose it like that again. God decides to call Abraham and make of Abraham's descendants God's people. But along the way, when Abraham's descendants get too frustrating, God threatens to break up with them, to abandon the family. God delivers Hebrews from slavery, but then Moses has to talk God into not breaking their agreement when their complaining gets to be too much. God admits to the prophet Hosea that for a brief moment the thought crossed his mind to leave the family, but then he would never do that and never will do that. Remember when God told the Hebrews entering Canaan to have nothing to do with the people of the land, sometimes even commanding their slaughter? Remember when the first king, Saul, could do no right in God's eyes, whereas it seemed that David could get away with murder? And then we see God stop being so overprotective, pushing his children out of the nest and into the big world, telling them to be happy where they land and improve the lives of those around them. Although sending the Jews into exile seems a pretty harsh way to cut the apron strings. And let's remember that psalmists along the way and in exile prayed prayers where they complained that God is an absentee dad. We read those stories and it seems sometimes that God was a young, insecure parent who needed to learn on the job. God was impatient, too quick to be angry, too harsh with the rules, too protective of the children sometimes, giving up on them too early at other times. It's easy to read the Hebrew scriptures in that way. And it's also easy to say that when God became flesh and lived among us, when God was in Christ and walked in our shoes for a life, that God learned a thing or two, that God saw how hard it is to live up to unrealistic expectations, and that we needed to be cut some slack. Like I said, some who read the Bible say that God was a good God before Jesus, but God became a kinder, gentler, more patient version of God's self. They say it this way. They say the Old Testament is a book of law, and the New Testament is a book of grace. That God is the God of wrath in the Old Testament. That God is the God of love in the New Testament. However they say it, what they are saying is that when God was in Christ, God changed and for the better. Now, I'm not going to deal with the question of whether God changes or whether God is supposed to be some unmoved mover or some deity above it all where past, present, and future are all the same. I was a philosophy major. I got burnt out thinking about all that stuff, and it doesn't get us anywhere. Jewish and Christian faith is relational, and relationships change. They are dynamic, and the only way that we can experience God is in relationship, and the only way to talk about relationships is through stories where there's some kind of beginning and middle or an end. 
or maybe we're still in the middle, but you get my point. So whether God in heaven changes or not, the only way that we can know God on our side of things is to experience change, to experience the dynamic of relationship that gets broken and healed and has misunderstandings and understandings and has the moments where we learn and grow. What I want to talk about is whether through Jesus, God became a better version of God's self or whether in Jesus we can see more clearly who God has always been. Revelation, not change, is what Paul is talking about in our passage, I think. I mean, look at the picture he draws with this passage. He speaks of Jesus being with God from the beginning, which is to say whatever we say is true about Jesus is true about God from the beginning. We might have thought that God is so majestic, so pure, and so demanding that we can only offer cowed worship and fearful obedience We might even say that it took God killing his own son to see how far his wrath will go. And thus, then, with a broken heart, God forgives us for the mistakes that we make. But Paul says that at the beginning of that V, Jesus is with God all along. And then Jesus did not think equality with God as something to hang on to. That is, the pristine goodness of life with God is not enough for God, and it's not something to be protected from us. Jesus became a life that emptied into human life. And so what that's saying, I think, is that God's goodness isn't tarnished by our sin. God's goodness isn't to be protected by avoiding sinners. Jesus reveals that God's goodness is expressed in embracing sinners. That's the true goodness of God. That if God is perfect, God reveals that God is perfectly compassionate. That if God is pure, that Jesus reveals the purity of a servant's heart. And if God is law, Jesus reveals that God is love. And whatever law of God we talk about must be the law of love. Jesus reveals just how loving God has always been, Paul is saying. Just look at the point of the bottom of the V. Jesus was so emptied into human life that he died a human death, even to the point of being crucified on the cross. And in that moment of dying, when he was supposed to be exposed as being a failed king or false messiah, Jesus asked forgiveness of those who did this to him. That, more than anything else, is what this revelation reveals. That's what's revealed about the true nature of God, I think, that God is the God of reconciliation, that God is the God of healing the wounds of life. And if we're going to do what Paul says that we should do, and that is be of the same mind and heart as Jesus, then reconciliation is what we have to be all about as well. The funny thing about a really good revelation is that it clears things up. 
It's that simple. Jesus is and we are to be about reconciliation. But we're not about what Jesus was about. It's that simple and that hard. I'll talk about reconciliation again in a couple of weeks. But lift high the cross, for it reveals just how far God's love will go and on our side of the relationship, what we need to do to become kinder, gentler, and more patient versions of ourselves. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.